Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. It's the fighting. It's the fighting. Welcome listeners to another episode of The Extra Inch and I'm Windy, I'm joined as ever by my sidekick and best friend Bardi, hello Bardi. Hello Windy. And by our tactics guy Nathan A. Clark, hi Nath. Hey, how's it going? Good, how are you boys doing? Not too bad Chris, not too bad. Bardi, congratulations, you completed a marathon last week was it? Yeah, last, um, exactly one week ago. It was um, a hot and sweaty 30 degrees in Sweden, which... um, when I booked the marathon, it was it was a dark December night with snow and cold, and I was just like, it doesn't matter. June in Sweden won't be too hot, and I was kind of surprised. June, it was like one of the hottest cities in Europe that day, so it was uh, it was hard work getting around that course. But you got a PB. Yeah, I got a PB, but then um, some chap on Twitter kind of said it wasn't that great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I tweet. I, I was very proud of you, so I tweeted from the extra inch account on Twitter, and someone replied saying. That's not a good time. No, it was, um, that's not smashing it. It's just a respectable time. So yeah, cheers, yeah. cheers, Ronnie. Thank you for that. <laughs> I did quite enjoy that, though. Okay, so today we're going to look at uh, a little bit about the transfer window so far, and then also talk about the World Cup, because we're planning to do some quick-fire World Cup podcasts, because obviously people are interested in the World Cup, um, as we are, of course. Um, so there's plenty to talk about. But before we delve into that, just want to say thank you very much for all the reviews um, we ran a competition thanks to Spurs Statman who gave away some of those lovely retro Spurs socks and the winner was Ollie Connors whose review said I hate this show, I'm just writing this review to get some new, new socks really, need a new new pair to wipe up after I've looked at some pictures of Eric Lamella. So yeah, uh, that went down well, obviously with our fighting cock side. Um, thanks also to Momin Gull 17 Bennett99, Gary T1882, Matt Niner, Scrumpy John and Mr. Walker Porter, who all left very nice reviews as well. So we very much appreciate that. We had a few queries about how people leave reviews um, on other uh, sites that aren't iTunes. And honestly, I don't know the answer to that. Uh, Nathan, you came up with something didn't you, on that one. Uh, just that, like the Android app I have links through to iTunes you can leave a review via that app I think ah cool so you don't have to have iTunes to leave a review that's that's helpful thank you but I'm, I'm just such an Apple um, guy that I just don't know anything about Android or anything else so I, I was pretty clueless when we were getting those questions through okay let's talk a little bit about the transfer window so far so there's not a great deal of news and it's I guess it's not surprising because it's Spurs, but it is slightly surprising because we were led to believe by what Pochettino had said that we would get business done early this year. Um, no ins so far, but a few outs. So Keenan Bennett has gone um, slightly disappointingly. He's a, a, a good young player uh, and, and is a loss to some degree. Uh, we've also released Ryan Loft, Christian Magoma, Luke O'Reilly, Joe Pritchard and Nick Sarula. 
um, who are all professional, all on professional contracts. There's no huge losses there, although I did like Sarula. He had a bad injury last year, which set him back, but he had been looking good before that. He was an attacking left back. And I kind of hope he goes on and has a decent career for himself because he plays in the right way. Um, we've also released Matt Locke after his scholarship, so he hasn't got pro contract. But the news today is that Rio Griffiths has signed on. It looks at the moment as though he's actually signed to a third year of a scholarship, which is generally, I believe, reserved for players who the club are not sure about and don't want to commit to a professional contract yet. Which I guess tallies because Griffiths is, as I've mentioned before, only a very recent convert to striker. Um, he, he was a defender, and then he was a winger, and then he became a striker. But he was so prolific last year in the under-18 league that many assumed that he'd either sign a two-year pro or that he might even go abroad, and there were clubs in Germany looking at him. So um, there's been a bit of intrigue around him, but it does seem like he's signed. We've also signed another of our, our, our other um, reported one-to-way players, Tarek Hines, um, to, a, to a pro contract, which is good news. He's a, a talented young right-back. So, yeah, things are looking good from that perspective. There's been several rumours, um, one of which was bad news, which was that Matthijs De Ligt reportedly isn't a target for Spurs anymore. Uh, how do you feel about that, Nathan? I know you're a big fan of De Ligt. Uh, yeah, I mean, f- for me, he's sort of the the lone tier one young centre-back in the world. And um, I think anyone else we could be looking at after him would be would be quite a step down. So uh, to, to to no longer be linked with him is is quite a quite a hit, unfortunately. Does it imply to you that perhaps we were just put off by the asking price? It seems it all happened so quickly. One day Spurs are putting an inquiry or a bid for Delict. The next day we're no longer interested. So to me, that implies they want crazy money for him, which we're not prepared to spend on an eighteen-year-old. Is that does that sound about right? Yeah, I think it maybe has been disrupted by an, maybe City or whoever getting involved and and jacking up the price by putting sort of second interest into him which is a shame we've seen this sort of trend of of rich teams simply hoarding players just to prevent good talent from going to the opposition which might be the case I guess if City were to sign De Ligt, it might open up the possibility of John Stones leaving which I definitely wouldn't be against so that that might be something to look out for um, we seem to have judging by the rumours uh, reverted back to our almost previous strategy of of looking at young English players who were kind of in their early 20s. We've been linked with Jamal Lascelles, who plays for Newcastle, and Jack Grealish, who plays for Aston Villa. Both players I like. Um, Bardi, any thoughts on Lascelles or Grealish? Uh, I mean, first of all, before I talk about them, I think, although we haven't done any business, I think it's important to look at um, what has happened at Spurs. We've got um, Harry Kane has signed a new contract. Um, Pochettino has signed a new contract and kind of um, got rid of the rumours regarding the Real Madrid role. So sometimes you have to kind of look at things in a, in a positive light that things are moving at Spurs and although we haven't made the kind of marquee signings or even like attempted to sign the, the kind of top level players, just things are happening at Tottenham. Yeah, I think that's a fair point and the rumour is that Ericsson will sign a new contract as well which is would also be great, great news. Um, yeah, Kane, I, Kane's uh, six-year contract announcement was awesome. I, I did love that tweet. Yeah, because I, I don't think we've actually spoken since um, Pochettino signed and Kane signed. We haven't, no. Um, and and obviously that's huge news about Poch and then was followed up the, the next day by <laughs> Real reportedly being interested. Um, and people were then saying, oh, well, Levy's tied him, tied him down to a contract so he gets a, a bigger amount of compensation for him. I mean, Poch wants to see him a new stadium, surely, right? 
Yeah, it was um, a lot of tinfoil hatting going on, and um, that even I think the marker came up with a quote that there was a, a release clause with regards to Real Madrid. <laughs> but uh, I think that was uh, that was it was a very Spursy thing for all of us suddenly to get nervous, even though our manager had just signed a new contract. It's I mean you tie somebody down, but immediately we got nervous that we tied him down to lose him. You know. Yeah, very, yeah, very Spursy, very Spursy. So but how do you, how Sorry, yeah. How do you feel about Grealish and the cells? The, the kind of um, slightly under the radar players, but but talent, well well known, talented English players in certainly the international setup, at least. I mean, to be brutally honest, it's not very exciting, is it? Really, windy. Come on, um, <laughs> we're talking World Cup, and I I kind of still remember that '94 summer when we signed Jurgen Klingsmann and. Part of me still yearns for that day where we just go out and sign someone amazing. So the fact that we've been linked with Grealish and the Shells, um, fine, fair enough. But it's not going to make me run out and be really excited about the new season. Nathan, how do you feel about these two? Well, I'm excited about Grealish. Um, I'll touch on the Shells first. Just that, yeah, he's he's a decent uh, young centre-back prospect. Same can be said for Mawson or Dunk. Um, but... It's still a big step down from Delict, so <clears throat> from that angle, it's slightly disappointing. Grealish, I was also sort of middle of the road on at first, based on my memory of him when he was in the Premier League and when he was sort of a uh, a promising sort of dribbling attacking midfielder slash winger. Um, and then I went away, I did my homework and and looked at his games uh, from this season gone in the Championship, and I'm I'm really really impressed with him. Um, I know you've made a Jack Wilshire comparison, which is sort of going to rub Spurs fans the wrong way a bit. Um, I want to rephrase that comparison in a in a, uh, a better PR way. So um, under Pochettino, Grealish could become the player that Jack Wilshire should have been. How's that? I like that. I like that a lot. Um, I actually thought Ryan Mason would be that guy. I, I, I really did. I thought um, Mason had that kind of same... Uh, burst into space that that Wilshire always had in his younger years, um, and I think Grealish has very much got that. He's he's a, he's a good decision maker for a twenty two year old, which I think is really important. Um, I I really like Grealish. I, I can see why he's not an exciting player because he's not the unknown. As in, we know him. We we know we've all seen him. We know of him. We all know he's got a stupid haircut and wears his socks though. Um, and he he had a bit of a kind of rude boy persona when he was uh, first breaking through at Villa. But he's come on load since then. He's a really talented guy. He's when I, I've seen quite a bit of Villa because I've been trying to watch them for Onoma on loan there. And Grealish was always their go-to guy. So when things weren't going well, they give Grealish the ball and he makes things happen. And he doesn't stand out in terms of his goal or assist productivity. But he's not that kind of player. And lots of players, lots of sorry, lots of people on Twitter have been saying, you know, if Grealish was that good, he'd be tearing up the championship and have twenty goals and, and ten and uh, 10 assists but I don't think that's true I I mean in the same way that I think if you put Luka Modric in the championship he wouldn't have 20 goals and 10 assists because he doesn't do that kind of stuff but he'd still be great and Grealish has looked really good in that kind of slightly deeper role so he plays they play a three-man midfield generally with a holder and then Grealish and one other as the breakers from midfield and he really dictates things and creates spaces for others um yeah I like him a lot I mean I would be disappointed if he was our only midfield signing but certainly he has some of the characteristics of Ericsson and some of the characteristics of Dembele. So he kind of fills a couple of important gaps in our rotation. So, yeah, I'd be pretty happy with, with Grealish signing as long as we don't go crazy on the price. 
Hey, let's talk about the World Cup. So I've been a bit busy at work and have got a bit behind on World Cup reading and prep. So I've spent the last couple of days frantically trying to get up to speed on and all the articles that have come out and trying to catch up on some podcasts to try and build my excitement because it's really it's really close. Um, and I'm actually really excited now. I mean, we had a conversation off air and, and Bardi feels like the some of the groups are a bit uninspiring. But I think in groups B, C and D, there's some excitement there. Um Nathan, are there any teams you're particularly interested in, in seeing or particularly excited about? In a sort of slightly odd way, I'm excited about Belgium, um, even though they're in the same group as not because I think that they are brilliant or exciting, but I think they are sort of almost comically um, unbalanced and attacking and uh, uh, sort of likely to win or lose 5-4 every game. Yeah. Um, and that is amusing and entertaining to me. They, they, would agree with that. Yeah, they're, they're, they're naturally already very top-heavy squads. In the, uh, they, they, they are loaded with attacking stars and even their deeper players are attack-focused. Um, and then you add to that situation Roberto Martinez, who is sort of like um, your Dar's imagination of what all foreign <laughs> managers are. Um, and you get this, yeah, comical possession attacking side. And I, I love watching Belgian play. And in true Roberto Martinez style, he's now gone to a back three and he's playing a winger at wing back. Um, and I'm all for that. He might um, play Chadley. Chadley might get minutes at wing back, which is hilarious. He wasn't especially defensive as a winger for Spurs and he's going to play <laughs> in, a, in a, a sort of a defensive role for Belgium, which is brilliant. Amazing. Yeah. Um, it's interesting you say that point about them being unbalanced. Because I think that's true of a number of the teams. I think teams are either very defensive or either very attacking. And I think there are a few teams who get the balance right. I would say Spain and Germany uh, obviously are are both fairly well balanced. Um, And actually, I'd say England are one of the more balanced teams in the World Cup this year as well. Um, But we'll come on to talk about England a bit more. Bardi, are there any teams you're excited about? Um, Well, for me, this World Cup has always been a bit strange because since November when... Italy managed to get themselves knocked out in the qualifying. It's kind of been something which I've been dreading. But as the kind of days have slowly got closer, I'm now finding myself swept up in World Cup fever as well. And I think um, what you said there about balance is quite interesting. And there seems to be a lot of teams which are kind of top-heavy. Argentina is one of them that I can think of. But um, Mm. personally, I, I can't see past Brazil. I just think for the first time in a long time, they seem to have a right balance across the team sometimes they've gone in too top heavy sometimes like in Dunga's team they've been a bit too stodgy in midfield but all of a sudden you've got a team here which has a little bit of everything and I just think Brazil might have it they've got the goalkeeper midfield defense and then they've got a wonderful kind of different array of attackers as well so I, I just can't see past Brazil I just think they're gonna hit the ground and then just just run away with it I think Good point, actually, and I think they probably could get the balance right. So I'm, I presume they'll play a front three of Neymar, Jesus, and Coutinho, which is uh, that's a fine array of attacking talent. But then they've also got the kind of workmanlike midfield of Casemiro, Palinho, and Fernandinho um, to balance that out as well, with potentially Marcelo left back, a very attacking fullback. Um, uh, the, and, and they've got good options on the bench, of course. Willian and Firmino, who I think... I mean, Firmino, for me, would be the first-choice striker, but he seems to like Jesus. Um, but there are really good options there on the bench. Uh, the only thing, I'm, I'm not 100% sold on their centre-backs. 
Um, I've got them reaching the final in my prediction, but I've got them losing to Spain. I mean, and, I, and I think that's because Spain just generally have quality all over the pitch. I mean, it's not a huge weakness. Thiago Silva, Miranda, Marquinhos, they're not, you know, they're not like... Um, another team I really like is Portugal, and then they have got real problems at centre-back in Pepe and um, Font- Jose Fonte. They've got issues there. But I, I, Pepe must be mid-30s now, right? Yeah, I think he's 36. He's proper stalwart. But um, the Portugal are another team that I quite like. Um, they seem to be, I mean, even though they're still heavily reliant on Ronaldo for goals, they have got a bit of talent elsewhere. Um, and Bernardo Silva and Andre, Sil- Andre um, Silva as well, the striker. I just think he lacks a yard of pace, but, you know, they've, mm. they've got some interesting options there as well. So we, we, I sort of mentioned that you think it's um, quite, some of the groups are quite predictable, but I, I think groups B, C and D are quite interesting. So... We won't go through and say who we think are going to qualify from every group because that might get dull. But so Group B, I mean, Spain are probably going to win it. And then you've got a really tight uh, match between Morocco and Portugal, mm-hmm. I would say. So uh, from from that, you like Portugal. Do you think they'll qualify? Yeah, I, I think Portugal will have enough to get through. They've, um, you know, if you hark back to like the golden generation of... Um, of um, oh man, what's it, Rui Costa and those kind of guys, mm. they always had that mental kind of softness, weakness that they would crumble in the big games. But I think the fact that they won Euros 2016 is going to maybe change the team. And I just think they'll have enough to get out of this group where in, in past Portugal might have kind of crumbled. For me, they're too. They're still too reliant on Ronaldo. Um, and I really like Morocco. I like. I, I'm excited yeah. about Zayic. Um, and Bonatio is fantastic centre back. Who I think I mean, they they actually kept six clean sheets in their last six qualifying games, which is incredibly impressive. Um, and if they can grind out a one 0 against Portugal, I think they'll go through beneath Spain. Okay. And then Group C, which I think is interesting as well. So you look at that and you think, okay, France are obvious winners. Australia will finish bottom because they're terrible. But Peru and Denmark, two two teams I'm actually quite excited about seeing. Um, particularly Denmark because of Ericsson. And he plays as a 10 for Denmark. He'll get so much freedom. He drops deep, but then he he also pops up with so many goals for them. He scored a hat-trick in, in their last match, or last uh, qualifying match. Um, very excited about seeing him, and I really hope they get through. But Peru look a good team as well on paper. Um, I was in Colombia when they um, when Colombia qualified, and their last game was against Peru. And they, they're they okay. They're not bad. You know, they're, they're, I don't think they're the most exciting team in the world. They seemed a little bit slow and a little bit kind of... You know, ponderous on the ball, but I don't think they're going to actually trouble Denmark in this group. I just think they're a little bit weak, to be honest. Yeah, I don't think Australia are that bad. I think I think there's a there's a a three way push for the second place there. I think Australia you're slightly underrating there. Okay, interesting. I I mean, sorry, sorry. Go back. I I was at Craven Cottage this um, this spring to watch um, the friendly between Australia and Colombia, and they're okay, Australia. They, um, they're quite neat on the ball. It's quite interesting watching Luongo, who is former Spurs and has really kind of... I don't think he would still be good enough for our first team, but it's quite interesting to see how he's developed. And he's quite a neat player. And um, in Tim Cahill, they have someone who's always capable of kind of grabbing grabbing a big goal. Tim Cahill, who is looking to score, I believe, at his fourth World Cup, mm-hmm. if, if he does get a goal, which would be an absolutely remarkable... He, he'd be only the fourth player to have done that, which is just incredible. Uh, he's 38 now. Yeah, he probably won't start. He might get a game and he'll be yeah, off the he'll bench. He'll be on the bench. He'll be yeah. a bit super sub. I mean, so the thing with Australia, the reason I think they're rubbish is because their defence is terrible and they have no strikers. But uh, they they have <laughs> yeah. got a good midfield. Um, Aaron Moy's a very, very competent player. Longo's a battler. 
and um, the holding midfielder for Crystal Palace, whose name is Yedinak. Yedinak, he now plays for Villa. Um, yeah, Yedinak's a solid, solid old old pro as well. So they're not bad in midfield, but I just think they're a bit stodgy. They're not going to score many goals. Um, so I think they'll finish bottom of that group. How do you guys feel about France? Because on paper, that is quite an ensemble of players. Yeah, it's a ridiculous I'm squad. Fascinated. I, is is Giroud going to play for France? He probably won't start because there's because... they've got Griezmann and Mbappe. So I mean, he if he wants if the Champs wants um, a different option, if he wants a target man, then then it'll be Giroud. Um, so like I wouldn't rule it out as maybe for certain games, um, but I don't think he'll be the regular starter. Okay, interesting. I I thought he might start with. Um... Griezmann just behind him, Mbappe one side. Um, yeah, yeah, I get. I mean, it's such a. Fl- they've got so many options. I guess it depends if they want to play a three in midfield as well, because Pogba will clearly want to play in a, in a three. Yeah, um, because that gives him license to roam as he does for United in that in that role. And then obviously Kante is a very very good um, battler in midfield, but arguably lacks the passing to to play in a two. Yeah, Deschamps likes to sorry, Deschamps likes to to play Kanté as the deepest midfielder in a, in a three-man midfield which I I don't I don't see Kanté that way. I think that's a, a misuse of his talents. And they have um a player in Nzonzi who can sit in that deeper role and just distribute the ball neatly, um, which in my mind would free Kanté up to play alongside Pogba and, and that's a really perfectly balanced midfield. Um but Deschamps likes Kanté as the number 6 and then it'll probably be Matuidi for the or Toliso maybe for the third role. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I agree yeah. with I agree with I agree with Nathan there, and it's also quite interesting to see um, Florian Tuvan get called up as well, who's a player that we have been linked with in the past. And um, initially, when his name always comes up with Spurs, I think back to his fate, his like it'll be his bad time at Newcastle, and I can't seem to get that out of my head. But he does seem to have resurrected his career, and he's now part of a, a great squad. Yeah, they, I mean, they seem to be um, a, a victim of their own quality in the sense that they've got so many good players that they don't really know how to fit their best ones into a, an eleven. Which is, mm-hmm. I mean, that's a fairly common international problem, I, sus- I, sus- I think, really. Um, and whether Deschamps can can get something out of them remains to be seen. But there's certainly so much attacking talent there, and, and to be fair, their defence is incredible as well. Mtiti and Varane, what a centre back pairing! Um, and then presumably it would be Mendy and Sidibe at fullback, who are two of the better attacking fullbacks in the World Cup. Mm-hmm. I, I think, yeah, excited about France. Yeah, I think the biggest problem with France is probably Deschamps, who I don't rate that highly. But um, I think with a, a better manager, I think they would probably they might sweep everyone away. But I think Deschamps would let them down. So in in my head, I just assumed they were going to play uh, Dembele, Mbappe, and Griezmann behind Giroud because that would get the best out of those three. But It'll be interesting to see if um, what Nathan suggested might might come to light. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss and then and group d is the other one i like so argentina i suspect will will win group d but who knows because they famously bottle um world cups <laughs> um, and and then <laughs> nigeria i really like i i think yep. nigeria have a really good chance of qualifying they've got a lot of exciting explosive um runners with the ball you know, Victor, Victor Moses plays higher up for them than he does for Chelsea, and he's you know he's an impressive dribbler. Iwobi is a good player, and Iheanacho as well. So I, I'm I do like um, the look of Nigeria, but then of course Luka Modric and Croatia are in the same group. I'm gonna. And, I actually have a, a problem with you calling Argentina bottlers the, the runners up at the last uh, the runners up at the last World Cup. I don't think that's yeah, quite yeah. the sign of bottlers. I know they have lost um, their last three major finals in a row, but still. You know, it takes something to get to um, a World Cup final or a Copa America final. Yeah, I, I mean, I was being slightly tongue in cheek. <laughs> it's just that they they haven't achieved as much as their talent would suggest they should. I mean, it's, yes, um, they I have. They have uh, Leo Messi, who, um, as someone who is a huge Maradona fan, I still think Messi needs something at a World Cup to properly put him alongside Maradona status. Yeah, yeah, and and also an interesting selection dilemma because Aguero and Iguain are battling for one position probably, mm-hmm. um, and and not many teams will have a player as good as one of those two on the bench. So so again, almost too much quality to select from. Um, I think Croatia are an interesting one. They 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 didn't actually qualify by the qualifying group. They qualified by the playoffs. They were beaten by Iceland um, to to qualifying by the group so they're clearly not as good as they look on paper but having said that when you've got Modric and Mandzukic and Vedran Chorluka then uh, you've got a chance and they also have um, you know Nikola Kalinic who's another player yeah, that's yeah. found a bit of form in Italy and and Kramaric yeah and anybody that is a, um, a football manager fan knows Tin Jedvad as well is a football manager wonder kid he's been great for like three years in the game so it's quite nice to see him actually becoming a real person and making his way into his national team. <laughs> becoming a real person. Also, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, some of these players, they are one of the kids of football manager and then they just kind of never never achieve anything. So it's good to see. Yeah. Sometimes football manager gets it right. Good to see him jumping out of the screen. But um, um, They've also got this uh, young centre-back who I think, I think his name is pronounced Chaletta Char, who is 21, who's meant to be very good. Um, but I think Chorluka will play centre-back, yeah. which is uh, it's baffling that Chorluka is still only 32. The Chorluka-Lovren axis at centre-back is concerning for any Croatian. <laughs> a recipe for disaster. Yeah, it's not, I don't think it's very quick. <laughs> I wouldn't, pray, wouldn't play a high line. 
<laughs> so let's talk about England because it's kind of the area we know the most about. And I think there is some intrigue with England, both tactically and also in terms of whether they can, how, how far they can go. Let's start off with that one. Bardi, where do you, what, what, what are England going to do? Where do you think they'll get to in this, in this World Cup? I mean, England will walk out of the group because it's, um, it's a very soft group. Um, and the question would then be what hap- whether or not they can beat Belgium. And that will kind of decide their fate. If, um, if England comes second in their group um, and Colombia win their group, it would be an interesting match-up there. Um, but uh, I, I have faith this England team is probably one of the better ones in, in our lifetime. Not in terms of perhaps talent, but in terms of spirit and the manager and the formation and the way that they actually have a system. A lot of the time, England go into these World Cups with everything based on one player's fitness, be that Beckham or Rooney or something like that. Whereas this time it seems to be a bit more about the collective, which I quite like about England. Hmm. Nate, how far do you see England going? Um, potentially all the way, which is um, a slightly risky thing to say. Um, yeah, this is this is the best England team in a, in a very, very long time. And the fact that they are... Um, better than some of their parts they're playing a cohesive football they're playing a football that is nice to watch um which you know <laughs> means for us as fans that's good but it also means it's effective football um yeah i i, I don't want to get too excited because we've been hurt before but this is a good england side yeah i think um england I think it would depend on the draw and how things work after the group. I still think England aren't that great when they have the ball. If they get lucky and they get they get drawn against teams who, who want to control the ball and England can play in the counter, I think there's a lot of potential there. But even in the friendly that they played um, against a very weak and very jet-lagged Costa Rican team, I still think England on the ball when given time in possession. I still think they're a little bit ponderous. So I, I have us winning the group... Um beating Senegal in the round of 16 and then going out in the quarters to Brazil, which would be no disgrace at all. But I agree with Nathan entirely that this is a really strong England team and I'm I'm really interested to see what Southgate can achieve. Um, let's talk about some of the t- tactical points of interest for England. And there are a few selection dilemmas still. Um, the thing that fascinates me, and I, and I, you know, I don't know if this is just because I haven't watched the last two England uh, warm-up matches... But Walker at right centre-back, I mean, for me, Kyle Walker would probably be one of the best right wing-backs in the competition were he to play at right wing-back. So it sort of seems like madness to be playing him out of position at, on the right of a back three. Nathan, do you have any thoughts on, on what Southgate's trying to achieve here? Essentially, he is low on centre-back talent and pace in the, ba- in, in the, in the back three. Um, so he's just sort of... Um, Shunting Walker in, he's he's playing. He does play a very similar role for City. Um, he sort of tucks in, comes narrow, comes deep, um, and then he can sort of explode out the back line when necessary um, for for City. So there's some similarity in the role there. Um, it's certainly interesting, but yeah, uh, it it it's an interesting angle for Spurs fans because we have multiple times on this very podcast looked at the step down from having Walker at right back to now playing Trippier at right wing back and how that limits us. And then you look at England and they are um, consciously making that exact same decision despite having the option not to. So it's slightly odd for us as Spurs fans, but I think due to the pace, the slower pace of international football and the way England moved the ball, um, it, it does make a bit of sense for them. 
Okay. Yeah, my other concern for England would be the the lack of depth at centre midfield as well. I think I think there's a lot of games coming. There'll be bookings and suspensions coming, and I think a lot of pressure will be on Dyer and Henderson. And I, I'm not sure. Fabian Delph has had a great season at left back, but I'm not sure that he can play at an international level in centre midfield. I don't think he's he's quite good enough. So um, they're going to have to manage Henderson and Dyer very carefully. I think. Yeah, I think that's for me one of the areas of weakness in our in our team. Um, that player who will sit and and break things up and distribute mm-hmm. the ball. And I, I probably would opt for Dyer of the two. I, d- I don't dislike Henderson at all, but I just think Dyer is probably more suited to the role for England. And then have perhaps Lingard and Ali alongside. The other option that I quite like is playing Kane and Vardy up front. I'm I'm really not against. Kane and Vardy playing together with Sterling behind. But I don't think Southgate would do that at this point. No, I don't think so. No, and um, I think Vardy will definitely be a plan B. And I don't think... I think the World Cup will be a lot of teams, especially the group stage um, against the weaker teams, will be um, them sitting deep. And I, obviously that doesn't suit Vardy. I think Vardy might come into his own when uh, England start playing the, the better teams. And what's also interesting for England is that we kind of get a bit of a run-up because we play two of the weaker teams in the whole competition in Panama and Tunisia. So it gives us the freedom to not experiment, but kind of play in a more free, in a free, um, can play in a way where we can um, play freely and players like Sterling, who I think is going to be one of the best players at the World Cup, can express themselves. I think Delhi has been underrated this season and I'm really looking forward to seeing whether he can transfer what I think has been decent club form onto the international stage and I have full faith that he can and I actually expect him to score two or three goals in the competition. I'm really excited to see what he can achieve. I do worry about the fullbacks. I think fullback is one of our weakest areas. Um, Rose certainly has not had the season that we would have hoped for. Um, Trippier, I don't think, can beat a man but his crossing is obviously good. Whether that fits into Southgate's style remains to be seen, but I personally would prefer Walker or Alexander-Arnold on the right. And I think we could end up being quite reliant on on Kane and, and Sterling and Ali. And if one of those doesn't score a lot of goals, then we, we might not progress as, as far as we think. Um, but lots of excitement there for England. And, and for a change, we've actually got some nice different options on the bench as well mm-hmm. to bring on I th- um, so if things aren't going well change it up I think um, because Belgium is the last game in Italian they call it the biscotto where the two teams who are going to qualify they have a, an, an agreement when it comes to the final game so I think both teams will probably be on six points and it will kind of go down to who scored the most goals and so whoever's got, got the most goals in those previous games there'll be a a decision. We're not going to stretch ourselves. We're not going to risk yellow cards or anything. So I'm pretty sure Belgium and England will play out a draw, and it will be decided pre-game. Whoever scored the most goals in the other two games will win the group. I don't expect England and Belgium to go hell for leather when both teams have already qualified. That's the that's the Italian in me. That's what Italy would do anyway. A, a nice little biscuit, a biscotto. Okay, before we move on um, to further reading, I just want to ask Bardi about his obsession with Ian Smith of Costa Rica. Tell us more. <laughs> well, um, as I was going through the squads, a name that pops up like that in a very Latin team, it just just caught my eye. And then the fact that you read a little bit more about him and he's um, a very promising player. He's playing his trade in Sweden and his team are doing really well. And I can't remember the name of the team now, but um, he's just a, just an interesting player. But the one that I'm quite curious about and I'm quite looking forward to watching is um, Quintero at um, Colombia. 
who back in the day, many years ago, was this up-and-coming, promising player. He was perhaps the James Rodriguez. Well, he should have been James Rodriguez, but he kind of fell off the scene and it never worked out for him at Porto. And since then, he's been kind of um, loaned, he's been loaned around South America. So he's been playing in Colombia for uh, Medellin and he's also been at River Plate. And out of kind of nowhere, he's reinvented himself and he's back in the World Cup squad. He's got beautiful left foot, he's low centre of gravity and he's just a lovely player. And it's quite nice to see that players can turn it around. Um, if you think of like a young player that should have been at this World Cup, Renato Sanchez, who is also extremely talented, very promising youth player. And it's kind of sad when these guys kind of drop off the edge of a cliff and never come back. So it's quite nice that Juan Quintero has come back. Do you have a player to watch, Nathan? Uh, <clears throat> well, rather than a player to watch, I can skip ahead to my further reading because my further reading is um, five players to watch at the World Cup by um, Mohamed Mohamed, who is a fantastic uh, sort of scout uh, and writer. He has a piece for the ringer looking ahead at the World Cup and it's, it's brilliant. Uh, he, I'll, I'll just drop you the names, but you, you've got to go with me and read the article. So Herving Lozano for Mexico. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hakim Ziyech, Morocco, brilliant, he's gone. Uh, Ziyech as well, who you liked. Uh, Guides for Portugal, uh, Haritz for Morocco, and Sisto for Denmark. So that's it. Those are the the, nice. the players to watch. Yeah, Have a read nice. up on them for the ringer. I, I like Lozano a lot. He, I've seen, I've, I've watched PSV a couple of times last year, and he is an exciting winger with a very, very powerful shot on him. Um, definitely one Zoom to think about having in any World Cup fantasy teams because I think he'll score a few for Mexico. I really like him. Um, he's only 22 as well. He's definitely going to get a big move this summer. Um, and if he does well in the World Cup, it could be to one of the really big teams. So, interested to see Lozano. Yeah, I, I agree um, with them. Guidas is, is an interesting player to watch as well. And um, Sisto is, um, you know, he's he's got a little bit of everything. And, and the way he moves yeah. the ball is, is proper, looks, reminds me of a proper old school winger. Mm. Did you have any further reading, Bardi? There is the wormhole on the Guardian, which they have a full <laughs> review of every single player at the World Cup. It's, um, it's there's 736 players. It's their complete interactive um, map. You can scroll through each team and look at every player. They have descriptions, a little bit of history about every player. It is the perfect way to to while away a boring day at the office. That is a quite astonishing feat, and. Gosh, what a project to take on to 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 do a profile of every single player. Wow, they've, they've really uh, yeah. they've done well. There. It's amazing. It's um it's like um an interactive Panini sticker book. It's brilliant. Nice. Um, I I have to recommend um Daniel Story's Time to Shine, one breakout World Cup star per country, which is great. I've really enjoyed uh, Michael Cox's um preview articles for Odds Checker. And also the uh, Telegraph World Cup 2018 wall chart predictor, which is nice because it just lets you pick who you think is going to finish first and second mm-hmm. in each group. And then you kind of map out then where they're going to come um, overall. So that, that was a really nice, simple graphical way of working out who you think is going to achieve um, what in the World Cup. Yeah, for sure. This, this, is the, this is the first World Cup where I haven't stood in front of a wall planner with my dad, as we've discussed, how far Italy are going to go in <laughs> play. So I have missed that little tradition this year. Nice. Well, we're going to cut it short there because I've got a stag do to get to today um, and we're going to be back with a couple of other World Cup podcasts. So we'll probably do two or three during the World Cup just to kind of talk about anything that's, that's piqued our interest. But as ever, you can follow Bardi at Bardi TFC, Nathan at Nathan A. Clark and me at Windy Coys on Twitter. 
You can email us at theextrainch at thefightingcock.co.uk and we're on Twitter at theextrainch. Thank you, Bardi, very much. Thank you, Windy. And cheers, Nathan. Speak to you soon. Cheers, mate. Thanks for listening and we'll, we'll be back periodically. Bye for now. It's the fighting. Interesting, mate, yeah.